0: Welcome to To Every Generation the Broadcast Ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields located in Jamesburg, New Jersey where we teach through the entire Bible verse by verse and make application to every generation so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This time we're going to be in Mark 14 starting in verse 53. And the last time the message was titled, The Failures Continue, Uh, this should be really a blessing to everyone because, listen, you go through life long enough, you make mistakes, you, you regret some things, you look back, and the disciples were chosen by God, but they still made mistakes as we do. So I think sometimes if you don't go to a church where you read the entire Bible, you can be lost, you can be left out, you can be not understanding, you know, I can't be used because look at these guys. And the truth is, when you actually go into the scripture, you find out that they were human like, like we are. So they, they continued in their failures, uh, really when the Lord desired their companionship the most. And today we're going to look at the message of falsely accused. And this is where Jesus is falsely accused. Now, the real blessing is that when we look at the life of Jesus, we're to emulate Jesus. There's some blessings that we, we get because we're Christians, because we're in the Lord's fold. And then there's some blessings that we don't really care for, like all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And I gotta be honest with you, that's not one of my favorite in you know, the Bible Promise book, that's not the one I look to that I, I really wanna meditate on, but it's a reality. So the truth is that you know Jesus was falsely accused, we're going to be falsely accused, we're going to, to, to go through trials, and let's see how the Lord handles it, and let's see what applications we can make uh, to our lives as well. So, starting with verse 53. Verse 53, getting there. It says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. So, this is the setting. Remember, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas leads the religious leaders to the Lord, and he gives them that... that um, infamous kiss, they take Jesus, they arrest him, and now they're on this trek westward from the Garden of Gethsemane to Jerusalem proper where he's going to face these farce trials. But Jesus faced six trials, and three of them we're going to cover this morning, and when we go back into the scripture, Mark 15, we're going to cover the other three. Talk about double jeopardy. If you're involved in any way in the jurisprudence system, in law, or anything like that, you might find this interesting because we'll see some of the way um, Jesus was treated unfairly and really some of the rules, the Jewish uh, people and the Romans had safeguards against double jeopardy and things of that nature. But Jesus... He, you know, he faces triple jeopardy, and then he faces triple jeopardy with the Romans. Now, when we read this, we're going to see that Mark gives a brief overview. Remember, we talked about Mark. He makes his point, and he moves on. He's, he's very dynamic like that in this gospel. But I'm going to take the other gospels, and I'm not going to keep referring to the different scripture numbers, but I'm going to take it all together so we can understand these three trials in detail. So the first trial was before Annas. Now, if you look at your history books, this can't be refuted. Okay, Uh, the Annas lived or Annas ruled as high priest from A.D. 6 to A.D. 15. He was deposed by the Romans because they were really unable to control him, but he was still the people's choice. I believe one of the Gospels refers to him as the high priest, and somebody would say, aha, I know Caiaphas was the high priest at that time. You're missing the point. The point is that the people revered Annas. So even though Joseph Caiaphas was the guy, Jesus had to be taken to show deference to Annas, to him first. The second trial was before Joseph Caiaphas. He was Annas' son-in-law, and he was the high priest from A.D. 18 to A.D. 36. You know, I throw the numbers in there, it's good for apologetics. You know, you, you're trying to witness to somebody and they're giving you a hard time about the Bible not being real and such, but here it is. You know, you go into secular history and it backs up everything that's being said. So Joseph Caiaphas had a better working relationship with the Romans. So after Annas, they go to Caiaphas. That's Jesus' second trial. His third trial is really before the council or the Sanhedrin. Let me back up for a minute. So you might say, what about between A.D. 15 and A.D. 18? There was like, I guess you could call it an abeyance or a a hiatus of two years. And that was one of Annas' sons, but he wasn't really popular. Only served two years. So, you know, he's really not mentioned. You got to go deep into history to find his his reign for those two years, not important for what we're talking about this morning. Third trial was before the council or the Sanhedrin. This was so the religious leaders who were corrupt and jealous could make this look like it was a real trial. So they got a bunch of guys together, 71 member Sanhedrin, in case there's a tie vote, they had an odd number, much like our Supreme Court, but they had to ratify spiritual issues and they charged him with blasphemy, calling himself God. Of course he was, and they didn't believe it. So they had to make it look legitimate. They may, maybe had a quorum, maybe had enough guys there to, to make it a legal trial, but there was many who weren't there. Because the Bible mentions uh, you know, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and people that were part of the council that would have not consented to this. So they got the people that they knew didn't like Jesus, they got them together, and this is what they did. So he goes through these three trials. Now, Jesus endured some unfair treatment. Again, we think about our jurisprudence system. They coerced him into self-incrimination. Right? We have laws against that, and so did they back then. They beat a prisoner. Uh, they had night trials. They, they had witnesses for his condemnation, but not for his exculpation. In other words, they didn't have anybody to mitigate the situation or say, no, he didn't say that. No, he's really an innocent person. So they only, it was a one-sided stack against Jesus. The trier of fact was not impartial. Judges are supposed to be impartial. supposed to hear the evidence, make a decision, a jury as well. And by the morning, he was accused. Um, really, he gets triple jeopardy, and then the Romans take their turn and we, when we look in chapter 15. So, the Lord endured three trials, really, from religion, right? And he endured three trials later with the Romans from the world. That's what the Romans represented. And I have to tell you, if we are emulating Christ, we're going to sometimes be pinned against these two groups as well. Don't be surprised. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, if you do a study of the church during the Renaissance period, roughly 1300 to 1600 A.D., you had Christians who wanted to read the Bible, not in Latin, but in their own language. They didn't know Latin. They wanted to baptize. They wanted to do a lot of things that the Bible said, but they were severely persecuted and killed and this is all historical fact so they were up against the world and they were up against the church at the same time and today maybe we don't have that in our country some countries still have that persecution but you might find yourselves pitted up against the world and the christian community a lot of shallowness in christianity let me tell you something a lot of shallowness in calvary chapel aggregately right it's not a perfect denomination although it's not supposed to be called a denomination but the bottom line is, you may find yourself striving for higher things and being persecuted by both sides. You may find yourself being condemned or judged by the ones that are supposed to be supporting you. And, and probably many of you have been through this. I know I have. In context, this is, again, the arrest of Christ, are going westward, and then we get to verse uh, 54. It says, But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now we covered this extensively last Sunday. So if you weren't here, just get that free off the website and it'll go into great detail about his denial of the Lord because of fear, I I believe. Verse 55. And the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, quote, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Quote. But, not even, but even, not even then did their testimony agree. So the first out of the four blocks that we're going to cover this morning is falsely accused. Right? What were they saying about Jesus? What were they likening him to? Modern word, a terrorist. Can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, this is a, a di- diachronism going back in time and looking at a term backwards. But they accuse the Prince of Peace, really, of being a terrorist. Now, we know what terrorism is, right? We've experienced it in our own country. That is highly offensive. Right? Again, the Bible promises if we follow him, he promised himself that if we follow him and take that road, that we will receive much of the same. Let me quote this again. Second Timothy 3:12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution, not might, not possibly. You rise to higher things, you get closer to your Lord, you're going to get more heat from those around you. In other words, promise, we will be falsely accused. Seriously, if I asked who was falsely accused and who wasn't? Probably those of you who weren't, your hands would be a lot less if I was to count them than those that have been falsely accused. Unfortunately, it's a common thing, but Satan is behind the false accusations. See, here's the design. I'll make this personal this morning. What have you been through? Think about your life. Think about, I see a lot of head shaking. <laughs> I still got good eyesight. For, for I still need these once in a while, but for general head shaking, I can still see it. But this is what Satan tries to do. Number one, he tries to crush our spirit. He tries to get us to quit. And oftentimes, the icing and the cherry on the the cupcake for him is to get it happened to us by other Christians. I've heard Christians speak things that I thought to myself, only the devil could have said that better. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, listen, Christianity is not praying before dinner and uh, coming to church on Sunday. Christianity is a lifelong walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider that before you comes forward to make that profession of faith. It's, a good, it's an excellent decision, the most important decision you'll ever make, but it's something to consider. Your life changes. It has to. And we have to know our enemy. Our enemy, his whole motivation is to crush us, is to take anybody who's serving the Lord and destroy them or water them down so much by their peers in the Christian community that they're just ineffective. And then the American Western Church becomes ineffective in our communities, in our um, maybe political sphere, uh, when it comes to how we relate with people overseas, right? If you spend most of your time championing the poor, Satan will convince others that you don't care for the poor. If you spend most of your time going to a place where there's a culture that's completely different from yours, Satan will flip it around 180 and accuse you of racism somehow. I've seen it. I've seen the tears. I've heard the, the, the cries of people who say, I don't know, this, how could this happen? I'm going to tell you how it could happen. It's not these, these people, it's, it's, there's a force that's driving them. If you defend the defenseless against bullies, you'll be called a bully. You know, I've been in that position. A person comes in and they they, uh, put their family in fear or their friends in fear and they think that they're gonna manipulate me too and I stand up to them. So now all of a sudden they're not so tough anymore and they're claiming victim and I'm a mean person. It's amazing how somebody can take something and flip it, but I'm not gonna stop doing what I'm doing. I'm here to protect the flock and I'm gonna continue to do that. Now we have websites, trashy websites and social media. What are you gonna do? Somebody says something nasty about you on Facebook. What can you do? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Nothing you can do. As a matter of fact, right now, probably somebody's talking about most of you. Somewhere, right? (laughs) make you feel good this morning. (laughs) I mean, let's just, let's try to take the, the sting out of it, because we can't let how we, we can't cower under false accusations and let it take us off our game. If we're doing the right thing before the Lord, we just got to keep doing it. Isn't it amazing that you can... It was me. I hung with a group of people. We were all drinking and doing all kinds of stuff back in the day. And I became a Christian, and you, you would think that I, um, I don't know, murdered somebody. But it was good when we were partying and doing stupid stuff and getting away with things, and now I'm bad? I don't get this. I'm trying to clean my life up. Well, because you're not hanging with them anymore, there's a sense of conviction, even if you don't say or do anything. But you just stop doing the things... That you used to do so keep that in mind what did jesus really say well let's turn to john 2 three verses to read john 2 19 through 21 they're having a discussion and jesus answered and said to them destroy this temple now in the greek That would be the second person, not the first person. He wasn't speaking about himself. So you could almost put, you destroy this temple, or if you destroy this temple, I'm taking little liberties here, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, those that were there, it has taken 40 years to build this actual physical temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was speaking of the temple of his body. So what did Jesus say? Jesus was basically speaking about his death, his crucifixion, and that he would rise on the third day. But even if Jesus was speaking about the physical temple because those who are not spiritual misunderstood him, he didn't say, I'm going to destroy the temple. He said, you destroy this temple and I will build it up in three days. So even if they took him literal, he still didn't say, I was going to to get some dynamite and blow the place up. He didn't say that. But Satan is, he's not only an accuser, he accuses all the time. He will say the opposite of what you are. We just covered that. But he's also a word twister. He, takes, he can take 99% of the truth and just tweak it a little bit, add 1%, and the whole thing changes. If I had a, a clear glass, a quart container of pure, beautiful, filtered water that you could see through, and then I took food coloring, probably even less than 1%. Would you ever, you ever do that? One drop, and you can see it. It comes down, and it billows like clouds. And it eventually works, it, we, we, you don't even have to mix it. It works its way through the clear water and it turns it the color of the food coloring. This is what lies do. The best liar will use mostly truth. I mean, because if somebody's just outright lying, you can see them coming a mile away. The best liars use as much truth as possible and then just twist it a little bit. Be careful what you hear about people. You know, we, get, we can get egg on our face. Oh, did you know blah, blah, blah? Most of what they said was true, but they tweaked it a little bit, and that was not the meaning about what was said. So that's what Jesus really said. Continuing on in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you but... He kept silent and answered nothing. Let me just take it, stop it there at the first part of verse 61. So the second point is a response to false accusations. How does the Lord handle it and how do we handle it? Right? I want to read to you Isaiah 53, 7. It says about Jesus, thousands or hundreds of years prior to the Lord coming incarnate. It says, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now the Bible doesn't repeat something unless it's important. There was a, is a key to this. He opened not his mouth. The best way for me to understand or to ex- convey this is, there were some things that the Lord did that we can't emulate because I call them mission-oriented actions. Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus had to fulfill scripture, right? He had to fulfill scripture to the T. It was his basically M.O. that was prophesied about him before he even came. Okay, we're not going to the cross. So it's, it's a little bit different. Some have the erroneous idea that we should never shoot down gossip and always just kind of say, well, I'm going to let the Lord defend me. That's a good thing, to always know that the Lord is in your corner. However, if somebody asks me, Pastor Joe, did you, I heard you stole $10,000 from the church treasury. I would probably immediately respond with something unspiritual such as, what idiot told you that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, if I, if I go, oh, the Lord will defend me, you almost like add to the suspicion. If you didn't do it, say you didn't do it. There's nothing wrong with saying the truth, right? Why let this stuff fester? Proverbs 18.13 and 18.17, awesome scriptures, um, say that when there is something out there, a lie or gossip or a false accusation, that we're supposed to at least get the, second, the other side of the story before we make any type of judgment on that. And a lot of people don't do that. And that's even if it's our business in the first place. A while back, we had a woman in our church that would constantly go around and snooping into other people's businesses, and she would talk about well, this one's marriage and that one. Like, it's not even your business. And I, I eventually told her she was a bit, a busybody, and eventually, after a few times, she ended up leaving the church, which is fine, because she really got under people's skin. Constantly, <laughs> you probably know who it is, but, <laughs> but uh, she just was constantly in people's, it's, it's not your business to know everybody's marital situation. So sometimes it's not even our business. And there's nothing wrong with saying, it's not even my business. Why are you you coming to me with this stuff? Verse 61b, continuing on to 62, Jesus says, or it, it continues, it says, again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So the third part was questions that necessitate an answer. So some of you may say, well I'm confused. He wasn't supposed to open his mouth. He fulfilled that scripture. Now he's saying what's what's the story here? Well, it's it's very easy to to talk about this, right? The Lord knew when to be silent and the Lord knew when to speak. Again, one thing, another thing that God cannot do. Poor God, there's some things he just can't do. He can't lie. He can't he can't die, and He can't deny Himself. God has asked a direct question about Him and who He is. I am. Right? He has to answer that. The Lord cannot deny Himself. Again, this is mission-oriented. It doesn't affect us because we're not God. When Jesus was asked a question, He had to answer. He had to answer, yes, I am. For the religious leaders, they had a plan A. The plan A was to indict him with false witnesses. Very clever. It didn't work. So plan B was to try to get him to incriminate himself, and that did work. Again, the question for us is, when do we speak up, and when are we quiet? I don't want to ask for a show of hands, because I think I know some of the hands are going to go up, but some have the erroneous, and and I've heard it in teachings, that Jesus never defended himself not true. If you went through the gospel of John with us, you'll see that it wasn't true. But what was the key? He knew when to speak up and he knew when to not speak up. If I can just go with you through uh, John 8, I'll tell you what, John 8, 9, and 10 are fantastic chapters. If you ever have anybody who questions you about the deity of Christ and they say he's not God, just read these three chapters and believe me, even without a, a commentary, you'll be convinced. So they start in verse 41 by saying, then they said, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Probably a snide allusion to the whole thing with Mary and Joseph and you know Mary's pregnant and they're not married and that whole thing. Of course, it was a virgin birth. They wouldn't understand that being unspiritual men. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father ban. That was that was a snap. We would say that in the old day. You know, I mean, that was that wasn't. Some would say that's snarky. Jesus really said that. Oh yeah, he did. But he was telling the truth. That's what I love about him. He told the truth all the time. He says that you're you're of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources or he speaks his own native tongue for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Man, there's a lot of accusations there. Get into chapter 10, same thing. Which of you convicts me of sin? Well, don't we say rightly that you have a demon? Really, I have a demon. And he continues to engage them. And there was times that Jesus just walked away. But being the son of God, see, this is something that we need to learn how to master. He knew when to say something, and he knew when to walk away. Right? He knew when to say something, he knew when to walk away. Jesus uh, defended himself at times and, and his character as the son of God. Jesus also defended other people. Remember Zacchaeus, the thief? Oh, do you know who this guy is? Yeah, I'm going to have dinner at his house tonight. You know, I love that. Uh, how many women that were, the one caught in adultery, another one that was at Simon's house and at his feet, he only knew what kind of woman this was. Jesus said, you know, she who is forgiven much, he was forgiven much, loves much. So, you know, the, the woman who was caught in adultery, he stopped from, from them killing her. He defended God, and he defended the true church. He defended the church, too. He even said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the true church. Verse 62, going back to Mark. First thing that Jesus said is, I am. Now, I did my study, and, you know, I have so many books. I'm so old school. Instead of, you know, sometimes I have stuff on the computer, but... I got all these libraries and I just pull stuff out and over the years people have given me really awesome scriptures either translated from Hebrew text or translated from Greek to Hebrew and then from Hebrew to English. Um, The Septuagint was translated from Greek to Hebrew, um, no, Hebrew to Greek. and. Other texts in the first century were translated from Greek to Hebrew. So this is uh, one of them, One of our, we have a lot of Jewish believers in this church. She gave me this. And when I opened it up, I knew what he was saying because I read the Greek text. And then when I read it, the translation from the Hebrew, it's yod Hey vav Hey. You wonder why they try to kill him? He said, I'm God. How, did, how are they convinced? How is everybody convinced? And some today are still not convinced that Jesus is God. You, can, you really can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe that. You really have to question your faith, and you really have to take your beliefs and put them up against the scripture and see what the scripture says. So when I opened this up, he, he said it, I am. And that was what God said to Moses in Exodus 3, right? Moses says to God, oh, I got to lead these children of Israel. Who do I say sent me? Yod-Heh-Vav, hey, I am that I am. I always was, I always will be. I don't have a name. I don't have a title. There's a whole, a whole phrase that expressed God. He's so awesome that one word can't express him. Remember, the word God is generic, okay? but he said, I am that I am. So Jesus is the same thing. That's why there was a violent response and the tearing of the clothes and the shouts of of blasphemy. But this is what Jesus does. The first thing he does is he establishes who he is. And the second thing he does, he establishes what he's going to do. What he's going to do. Jesus refers to his second coming, and we covered this in Mark 13. Uh, He also probably alludes to the national repentance of Israel in Zechariah 12, right? And he basically says to religious leaders, well, how are they going to see that? Because at one point, the religious leaders, although they claimed to be of God, they were false teachers, and they were going to stand before the white throne judgment and be damned because they, they rejected him. They did not believe. So this was the violent reaction, and this was the reason for it. Verse 63. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Isn't that amazing how somebody can say something and set off another person to the point of violence? Words. Words. But Jesus' words had power behind them. And if you are not submitted to it, listen, you and I, we've met people over our lives where we try to share the gospel and we just start sharing the truth and we're just trying to be nice about it. And you'll get a violent reaction. Some from your family, some from maybe coworkers. I've had some I know that uh, went to managers and tried to sanction the person that even on their spare time or their cubi- cubicle, they say something, they want them fired. They want them suspended. A violent reaction to the truth. And even if it's not the truth, then what's the big deal? What are you so upset about? Because it is the truth. That's what brings that reaction. So the fourth part here is, and the last part we're going to cover for this morning, is the resultant abuse as a result of the truth. So he says, the high priest, this is blasphemy. He's the head guy. He's the one they all look to. He's saying to the other religious, What do you guys think? He's worthy, he's deserving of death. My question this morning to you is, What do you think? Let's take what he said and let's throw it out there this morning. Right? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Because what you think will determine how you act and where you're going to put your trust. And that will determine where you spend eternity. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. The only thing that prevents us from our belief system or believing even though right now some may be wrestling with the idea they might say well, i just came into this place and i'm just i'm i'm feeling am feeling uh, topsy turvy i'm feeling you know conflicted in my in my spirit and and he's just saying words but what do you think they condemned him to death they will stand in judgment for that if we believe that jesus is, says who he is if He really is the Son of God, if He is God in the flesh, if He really did die for our sins, then we have no choice but to also believe that our sins, you know, the Bible says all have short, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. That our sins, we, we, let me tell you something, we can't get before the Father and say, hey, look, I'm a really great guy, i got a great personality, people like me, i got 5,000 friends on Facebook, Lord, you know, that's got to mean something to you. Nothing. It means nothing. All my good works, Lord, all my help, you know. No. Nothing. The only way that we get to come into the kingdom is to put our trust in the belief that he is who he says he is, that he did die on the cross for our sins. We put our trust in him and and we start to change. Our actions change. Our outlook, our mind changes. When the mind changes, the body starts to follow. Because the mind tells the brain, the brain tells the body through the central nervous system what to do. And it's lived out in our lives. Well, Listen, when we're new believers, it's not easy. There's a lot of conflict. But that's why we're called babes in Christ. We're on milk. And God slowly matures us. What do you think? Everybody has to ask that question. Because if Jesus was just a nice guy, and he just was really moral, and he was a really nice prophet, and a great guy to hang out with, and someone you'd want to sip tea with, and have coffee with, and that's it, then he's a, he's a nut. He's a sick blasphemer, because he said, he claimed to be God. If I started doing that, hopefully you'd all leave this place, and I'd be speaking to empty pews. But when he says it, we need, to, we need to do something about it. We need to follow him if that's really who he is. So the abuse. Spitting, covering his head, striking him, hitting him with the palms of their hands. Isaiah 52, 14 basically says that he was unrecognizable. He got beat. There's so many capillaries that, uh, that um, you know, nu- that give nutrition to all the tissues in the face and Head wounds bleed a lot. So he started getting hit, and immediately his body was going into survival mode, sending blood to the area. There was swelling, It was eye. You ever see anybody who was beat really bad and they can't see through their eyes? Uh, no doubt his um, lacrimal and his orbital, they started breaking bones, and this is just the beginning of it. We didn't even get to the Roman guards yet in the crucifixion. Um, so, but why did he do it? He did it because he loves us. This is where you can say, and I like to say, you know, our society is so self focused. Well, this is the point in the sermon where you can say, it's all about me because he died for all the me's in this room. Right? When we're falsely accused, when do we answer? How do we answer? When's it not necessary to answer? The truth is, it's situational. It surely is. The Apostle Paul defended himself, he spoke about the false brethren. He spoke spoke about the false teachers that were trying to take him out. Nehemiah responded to his false accusations. I love this in Nehemiah 6.8. He goes, you guys are making this stuff out of your own minds, (laughs) out of your own heads. That's funny, I think. What are you talking about? I'm not doing that. You're you're making this stuff up. Job, when he was um, really savaged by Zophar, who was supposed to be comforting him, He responded to Zophar, and he gave a really good courtroom-style defense of why what Zophar was saying about him wasn't true. Zophar said, you must have sin in your life to be going through this. You must, and he really starts nailing him. And Job says, hear me out, and he presents his case. He defends himself and many others. There's nothing super spiritual about letting gossips and bullies go unchallenged. Now, you're going to take it on the chin for it, I guarantee you that. But there's nothing wrong with, you know, with... Listen, if you didn't do it, say you didn't do it. Now, how far we go with it, that's another story. Let's start with the easiest and make our way to the hardest. Number one, if someone blasphemes God. uh, We're not ISIS, by the way. Somebody blasphemes God. God's not looking for us to get into a fist fight or, or kill somebody. That's just nuts. And the rest of the world sees that for what it is. So, as Christians, this isn't what God wants. We're not to use physical violence. We're not to do all the things that we see happening in the Middle East right now. Say what you need to say, defend God, and move on. God's big. He can defend himself. Two, what about defending another person's reputation? You may be in a position to defend another person who's really being um, kind of beat up on by an alpha male or an alpha female, and, and you want to defend them. I would just say this, know the facts first. Again, if it's even if it even is our business. Three, defending the honor of a church or another Christian institution where people are getting saved and their lives are being changed. Again, know the facts. And there's nothing wrong with saying these, these phrases. I don't know. It's not my business. What's your motivation for telling me this? How many other people have you told? Put it back. What's, what's there? What's at the root of why you're doing this? person just may be a gossip and they're looking for a little traction. Right? I would also caution anyone who's getting sources from gossips. 1 Corinthians 5 is very telling. There's a part in 1 Corinthians 5 where it says that if a person is named as a slanderer and calls themselves a Christian, Apostle Paul says don't even eat with that person. And, but some are, un, some are afraid to unfriend them. Because why? You know, when you start to tick off a gossip, they're going to come after you. We need to have a little bit more courage than that. Eventually you wear them out. And if everybody in the Christian community did that, there would be no fuel for the fire. Proverbs speaks about that. Listen, we, we have to stop the, the sewage from being poured into the clean lake of Christianity because it's polluting the whole lake. You wonder why church, uh, the Western church is largely ineffective? This is part of the reason. This is part of the reason. Because we tolerate it. We tolerate it in Calvary chapels, and we shouldn't tolerate it. It's not right. So some of it's our own fault that the church is ineffective. Here's the hardest decision out of the four. When do we defend ourselves? Again, it's a prayerful decision. If something outlandish comes your way, you might even your facial expressions and body language will tell that person, "That's ridiculous. you know? Um, you just, you know it's, it's just a ridiculous thing." And, and you didn't do it, and you say you didn't do it. And sometimes, even if you did do it, it's still nobody's business. Really. For somebody to come up to you in the church and start asking you questions, it, it still may not be their business. Es- especially within a marriage or a family. That's, that's sacred. Right? It's not our business to be in people's business. I said business a lot today. That's the word <laughs> of the day. <laughs> Look at David in the Psalms. David was a warrior. He had no problem defending himself. But if you read the Psalms, there were times that he was being falsely accused of stuff, and he said to the Lord, Vindicate me, Lord. Sometimes he was a little over the top, saying, you know, Lord, break their teeth. Okay, so maybe we've been there. You know, David knew when to fight, and David also knew when to say, you know, I'm not, I can't be a war at everybody. Just defend my honor, Lord. You know, I'm just my tears are drenching my couch. Pastor Paul's going through the Psalms. Very, very, I would almost think he was Sicilian like me. He's just so emotional. But um, really nice stuff that you can read. I would say this. There was a term in the Revolutionary War that said, trust God, but keep your powder dry. If you don't understand that, I'll explain it to you after service. (laughs) We trust God with everything, but then there's times that we, we have to do something about it. If you're some type of leader, a pastor, a manager, a business owner, I guarantee you, you'll be spoken about. Something that we have to get used to. We can't let it drive us nuts. Spurgeon said to a young pastor who was a victim of gossip, check this out from the other other uh, end of the spectrum. This young pastor was, was just being, it was a, he called it a whispering campaign. And uh, Spurgeon said to him, it's a good thing they don't really know you. Now that sounds like an insult. Now here's the funny thing. You know what's great? That people don't know every sin I've committed or every sin I will commit. Then I would, re- I would never show my face again. Because we are sinners. We sin in our thought life. We sin with our lips. We sin you know, in so many ways. And I think Spurgeon's point was, don't let it get to you. They don't know everything about you and all the reasons Jesus died for your sins. So that's kind of comforting in a sense too. In the Sermon on the Mount, especially uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus guarantees that we will be reviled if we're truly serving him and doing the right thing. So I want to encourage you with that. I started off with the Lord. Remember, mission-oriented. There were things he had to go through. Okay? Uh, But then I moved into something that's personal because I think that's seriously... Raise your hand if anyone's ever spoken, gossiped about you or told a lie about you. There you go. I was right. (laughs) If you're really young, don't worry about it, it's coming. Uh, (laughs) At the end of the day, we need to be encouraged to do the Lord's will. We need to not let Satan break our spirit. Jesus said that the harvest is ripe, but the servants are few. That has been true for the last 2,000 years. Today, in 2014, we live in a very challenging environment. There's a lot of work that we need to do for the Lord. Understand, if you raise your hand, you step up to the plate, these things will happen to you because now you're on Satan's radar. When you're carnal and you're shallow and you're just part of the Christian community, he doesn't see you, he doesn't care. When your head pops up, it's like whack-a-mole. He wants to whack you down because you're standing up to serve the Lord. And he sees it, he picks it up. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through it and it really is bothering you this morning, I believe that somebody's going to walk, at least one person's going to walk out of this place feeling a little bit more liberated. I believe that one person may come up to one of us and say, you know, that's happened to me, I'm really struggling with it, and it's making me bitter. And I'm having a trouble with forgiveness. Would you pray for me? So I really want you to be blessed. That Do His will. Step up to serve Him. And rest in the fact to know that Jesus is the vanguard of our reputation and even all those sins that nobody knows we committed, Jesus died for and he loves loves us as a result of it. So don't be concerned that much about what people say about you when you're falsely accused. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.